I'm here today with uh, Dr. Susan Bridgewater from Warwick Business School. Uh, Dr. Bridgewater has been looking at the managerial trends in the uh, football leagues across all four divisions in England from 1992 to 2005. What we've been trying to do was to analyse the figures just to see what the key trends were. I mean, a lot of the focus when people talk about it is on dismissals. Uh, but I wanted to look at the, the data and see you know, what, what we could learn from them, what the patterns were, what actually is happening. And some of the figures are kind of fairly scary if you look at the fact that there have been 678 managerial changes over that 14-year period. Um, 48 of them were resignations where somebody moved on to a, another club or left for personal reasons and so on. 94, that's including two people who've gone out of the league since but are still in post, are currently managers, but that's 536 dismissals during the period and for any industry that's got to be viewed as a, a fairly massive churn. It is. I mean, it's often described as a, as a managerial merry-go-round. Um, having looked at the figures and, and, and looked at those dismissals, would you describe it as a merry-go-round? No, I think that's a popular myth. Um, I looked at them, I mean, there's 360 different managers out of 678. So clearly there is some recycling. And in fact, we had one or two people who'd had 10 different posts in that 14-year period. Um, but there are a lot of people who, who don't make it past the first hurdle. And that's a, a fairly major issue for the football industry. It used to be the case, talking to some of the managers who, who managed a few years ago, they say to me that, well, it was quite common for people to learn their trade in the lower leagues, Howard Wilkinson, John Barnwell, Brian Clough and others, starting in lower league clubs, moving up through the divisions and learning their trade as they went through, some, some form of apprenticeship. But now you, you're quite often getting people coming into a post and the first post they ever had, I think it was 260 uh, first-time appointees, and almost half of them go out at that point and never get another managerial job again so that there's very little learning and allowing the people to develop in their posts. You get one shot and in many of those cases these people never come back in, into management again which is an awful shame and a, and a waste of potentially good managers. And what do you think the impact of that is actually on, on the teams themselves? Well, clearly stability is something that, that's an issue. I mean, if you look at the industry from the outside, and we compare lots of different industry sectors, this is one that appears to be quite turbulent. There's a massive amount of change. And so I was interested to see what this stability um, meant to a club. I mean, the, if you look at the clubs who've had the, the fewest managers, there were three of them, Charlton, Crewe and Manchester United, who've had one manager each during the whole period. I mean, I know Charlton had a, a joint manager for part of that, but I'm counting them as, as one because Kirbishley's been there all the time. And on the other end of the scale, you've got clubs who've had 12 or 13 managers during that time. And I was interested to see, does it have an impact on their performance? And I mean, the first thing you've got to say, then, well, what do you count as performance? Mm. And I looked at a range of different measures. The, the obvious one is the win percentage. So how many games has that manager won and what percentage of his games has he won? Uh, and if you compare stability, the impact of stability on the win percentage, you find that those clubs who've had fewest managers are getting an average win percentage of 40.91%. And those clubs who've had lots of managers, the, the ones who've had most managers in that time, 10 or more, are getting a win average of 32.53%. If you test it out statistically and do a correlation between you know the, the number of so that's basically positive correlation is one thing goes up and the other line follows the same line and goes up uh, you find that there is a, a significant relationship between stability and the level of performance of the club but so is, stability is, costs is it stability or is it um 
money. Sorry, instability. Instability costs. Cost. But is, is it stabi- stability or instability, or is it about money? I mean, the obvious case being um, Chelsea dominating the league now with the billions, the Abramovich billions. Doesn't that kind of, isn't that a bigger factor? Well, I think, I mean, eventually I will, I will decide which are the biggest factors, mm. and you've got to do the full study together. At the moment, I was looking at individual relationships. There clearly is an impact. Stability uh, is is favouring performance. Money is, I mean, Deloitte and Touche have already shown that in their finance reports. There's a relationship between clubs who have higher value squads and their performance. And yes, Chelsea is an obvious example of that. Uh, The question being that, you know, they're doing very well, um, but so you would expect them to with the quality of squad they've got. And Deloitte and Touche measure that initially with the, the average wage bill of the squad and say, well, look, if you've got a squad who are higher value, you're paying them higher wages, are you doing better? And the answer is yes. You look at um, the relationship between performance and wages. Chelsea are way out on their own in terms of win percentage. I think Mourinho has got 70 point something percent, uh, 73 percent. And um, they're also out there on their own in terms of the wage bill. So basically, they're doing extremely well and you would expect them to. Mm. When you look at it and and decide what's interesting about that statistic, there are people at the other end of the scale where you might actually be saying, well, look, their performance is not terribly good in the Premiership and in other leagues. And so you might look at crew, for example, and say, oh, but crew are bottom of the Championship. And then you realise that when you compare their wage bill with some of the others in the division that they're competing with, that actually they're overachieving to even be in that division at all. So you clearly have to take into account the finances in order to be fair in assessing the the performance of the managers. When we have looked at studies of chief executives across other sectors, 60%, around 60% of performance is influenced by other things, by the context, by the resources, the assets of the organisation. I haven't done all of the analysis yet, but at least 60% is accounted for by... The quality of the squad, the, the ability mm. to buy players in to cover injuries and those financial aspects of football clubs. And the remainder is, is anything to do with the managers. Was there a, a difference between the way that premiership clubs approached the, 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 uh, the management of their managers um, and the way that some of the lower divisions, were there noticeably different trends in terms of the, amount, the, the turnover of, of management? Yes, and in fact, over this period that we're looking at, there were far fewer premiership managers um, in the dismissals figures than there were in the other leagues. The other leagues were were coming out much higher. And there are some obvious reasons for that. There was a period between the 2000-2001 season and 2001-2002 when there was a big increase, particularly in the lower league manager dismissals. And that seems to coincide with the collapse of ITV Digital. Mm. So a lot of clubs with financial problems and a lot of instability around but if you look at last year, for example, um, the championship clubs, I think, were with three times as many managers went in the championship as, as there were in the premiership. And there seem to be a number of different reasons for that. Certainly it is skewed when you have one or two clubs who change managers quite frequently. And I know in, in some cases we've had... Um, a couple of clubs who've maybe had three managers in a season, and obviously mm. that sort of makes the whole league look like it's it's much worse, uh, but it may just be one or two clubs. Um, the other thing that you'd have to say is that there are, as I understand it from the League Managers Association, there are different regulations about the 
entry requirements of managers in different leagues and now they have a mandatory requirement for the um, UEFA Pro Licence for the Premier League and that's outside the scope of my, my study to look at specific qualifications but if you take into account the fact that these managers are better prepared, better qualified in terms of coaching and other qualifications, maybe that is something that has an influence on being likely to stay in your job. Hmm. I mean, the other thing you'd have to say is that the premiership managers tend to be more experienced managers. And so I picked up on those two things just to investigate whether they had an influence on you know, the likelihood that these managers were going to be successful hmm. and found that um, experience did matter. The length of experience you had when you went into a job, more experienced managers were doing better than less experienced. You, you probably expect that. Um, and the other thing was that the, the managers who had both UA for Pro Licence and the Certificate in Applied Management that we run here in, in Warwick for young and prospective managers, guys who had those qualifications were doing better, significantly better, than those who came in and didn't have any qualifications mm. Now, I think it's fairly unique as an industry in that football, you can actually go straight into a football manager's job, be responsible for signing players for large amounts of money and for, for you know the operational day-to-day mm. management of a team and not have any professional qualifications outside the Premier League. Mm. I think in the report you indicate that the, 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 the way that managers come up through the system is changing. Uh, and that kind of the idea that you used to do your apprenticeship in the lower leagues and then come up through the system to take on the big clubs, that that's no longer applicable. I mean, I think I'd, I'd have a, a couple of comments when you, you sort of look at the data and stand back from it a bit. Um, firstly, there have been a, a relatively small and negligible number of managers moving on and up the leagues in this time period. I think in the current season we've had two so far mm. moving to, to other clubs. So back to the merry-go-round again, there aren't that many people who are choosing to move to other clubs. Uh, I think in the, the biggest season I looked at, six managers had actually gone to other clubs mm. during the time period. So that's not as much of a trend as it was. And if experience matters and having qualifications and preparation matters, you, you have to have some way of trying to prepare people for the job. Otherwise, you are setting them up with a likelihood mm. that they will fail, which isn't good for the clubs in settlements, legal fees, mm. or in the issues of stability that we've looked at. Um, and so I think whilst it's hard to say that the qualifications will make someone a good manager, um, you don't know which way around the relationship is. It may be that the people who come and do qualifications are the ones who would have been likely to succeed anyhow. Mm. But I would put it in terms of preparation. If they're not getting their preparation through years of experience and learning the trade and working up through the ranks, if that doesn't appear to happen, then there is some requirement to try to give an alternative to that, to prepare people as, as best they can, give them maybe a toolkit of things that they can try that may work for them in doing that job, um, because it's, it's increasing the chances of success. Mm. And it would be a fairly major concern that outside of the premiership, there is no requirement that anybody will necessarily have done those things in order mm. to be a football manager, which is quite unusual for, for any industry or, or trade. Mm. I'd expect someone who fixed my television to, to have some qualifications in doing so. It was also noticeable in the, um, in the figures that, you, that, you, you've put, that you've put together that there's, the, the introduction of the transfer window has, has, shift, has created a few points in the season when managers are most likely to get the chop. Yes. I mean, if you looked at... Um, the figures by month, 
and, and what has happened in terms of the trends. Uh, there used to be May was a very bad time to be a football manager. If you go back to the 1992-1993 season, it's maybe not surprising. It's the end of the season, and traditionally that was a time where clubs made changes if they were likely to do so. Uh, but if you compared that over the seasons, the last three seasons, there have been um, a fair number of dismissals in October, November. And we're only speculating here. I mean, I don't know exactly why that has suddenly appeared and it wasn't there previously. Uh, but it does seem to coincide with the introduction of the transfer window. I don't know whether clubs are waiting to see what happens at the beginning of the season and maybe giving people longer to to contemplate, you know, whether somebody should stay as manager. It's, it seems unlikely because actually the, the average tenure, the length of time someone's in post, has gone down from 2.72 years average at the beginning of the, the time to 1.72 at the end. And that, scarily, if you project that forwards, you know, in another... Uh, 15 to 16 years um, we'll be getting managers who are only in post for a year Hmm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, you'd be changing your manager every season, which wouldn't be good in terms of stability Um, but it may be that um, having waited to see what happens at the beginning of the season, that clubs are deciding, well if they're not 100% sure they'd rather not have that manager making decisions to buy and sell players. Hmm. Do you think there's a vicious circle here that the, the the demand for success and the, the financial imperative to be successful is putting more pressure on uh, clubs to, to see managers deliver results and yet that, that pressure to deliver results is reducing the amount of time that managers are in post denying them the experience and the stability that they actually need to deliver results well, it's clearly a results business. I mean, that's the nature of it. And somebody rightly pointed out to me the other day, not all the 92 managers can be successful. That's mm-hmm. the, the nature of it. You know, you've got to have people at the top of the league and people at the bottom. It's the nature of the game. The the, the real issue, as far as I can see it from these figures, is that um, managers are under all kinds of additional pressures that maybe mm. didn't exist before. I mean, if you're going into a job where... You are exposed. It's the first time you've done it. You've, you've got a learning curve to go up. Um, you've got high levels of financial pressure. Um, it's outside the scope of this report, but I know from, from the football managers course that we run here at Warwick for young managers that um, managers are saying that they, they feel that they're under more intense media scrutiny than ever um, and they are certainly in, under pressure to deliver. I think also you've got to understand it from a club's perspective. I mean, if the the club is getting pressure from its fans, it has a whole set of different stakeholders who are going to be saying to it, you know, what is happening to performance in in this particular football club? If things aren't going well, Mm. then it is quite easy for them to say, oh, that must be something to do with the manager. And as I said previously, you know, if 60% or more of what happens in the club is nothing to do with the manager, it's resources and other things, other organisational aspects then that may be the wrong thing to do anyhow. But you can obviously understand why it happens. I mean, I've seen examples a couple of seasons ago where the board of a, a particular premiership club were under pressure and the fans were saying, you know, do something if we get relegated at the end of this season and they'd, they'd sort of be holding the, the board mm. responsible. Then the easiest thing to do was to say, we have acted decisively and get rid of the manager. If they don't go down then they'll be hailed as having made this positive change and brought in a new manager who saved the club. If they bring in a new manager and still go down, they could say, well, um, he didn't have enough time, he's new, what more would you expect, you've got to buy with it. In any way, having been seen to act probably takes the pressure off the board. 
It may not be the right thing to do because it, it may or may not have been anything to do with the manager, but I can understand why it happens. Uh, if you look at these stability findings, it would suggest, however, it's, it's quite often going to be the wrong response. Mm. Should uh, clubs be actually investing in their managers? I think if you look at some of the um, new managers who are coming in who are doing well at the moment, there are a, a number of good younger managers who are coming through, and I can name names because some of them are, I know and we, we've taught in the course, yeah. and I'm probably biased in that sense. But, I mean, if you look at people like Adrian Boothroyd at Watford, Kevin Blackwell at Leeds, and the Premiership, Mark Hughes, Stuart Pearce, uh, and in League One we've got people like Kenny Jackett um, at Swansea and Steve Tilson at Southend, and then we've got Ifeonora coming in at Swindon and others. That These are good young managers who've prepared themselves, who are coming through at clubs, and hopefully uh, we are beginning to see positive benefits of some of these managers who've prepared themselves coming into clubs. You know, It will take a while to professionalise football management, but it, it is, should be, like anything else, something where there is a, a career path and a set of steps that somebody would take, not just to be a good football specialist in terms of playing football, but to be a good football manager. Thank you very much, Sue. You're welcome. Thank you.